are in 1 Corinthians. We have been in 1 Corinthians now for a few weeks to months. Uh, and uh, if, you're, if you haven't been, we're picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be finishing verse 4 today by looking at verses 14 to 21. Here at Fellowship Baptist Church, as you know, we walk expositely, we walk exegetically, sorry, through uh, scripture verse by verse, uh, looking at the truths that God has put in his word for us. So if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, go ahead and open them. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 14. I, don't, I have the verses broken down for us in the slideshow, but I'm going to read them for us uh, as a whole right now, but they're not on my slideshow. So just wa- uh, pay attention in your uh, Bibles. Picking up in verse 14, says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out uh, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? May God bless the reading of his word. We have been in the book, uh, the book of Corinthians for over a month now, and it's been encouraging, and it has been a challenging book. And I just want to remind you that uh, we're next, not next week because we have a guest speaker, but after that, we're starting to get into some of the, the, the crazy stuff of 1 Corinthians, some of the hard subjects of 1 Corinthians that, that we have to defend and talk about as Christians and think through biblically. And I just want to, again, give you this caveat. Whenever we're challenged by the Word of God, by the hard sayings of scripture, it's not to beat us up, even though it might feel like we're being beat up every once in a while by it. It's to expose weaknesses in our faith and our lives and things like that, that God is trying to sure up, trying to strengthen for us. So again, if something is said from the Bible that just kind of doesn't sit with you that well, don't leave angry, don't leave upset. Come and chat with me. One of my, mo- my favorite things to do, I don't like to talk about sports, but I really like to talk about the Bible, okay? So uh, uh, if something is uh, sitting uh, weird with you, you're not understanding it, I wasn't as clear as I could have been in the pulpit, please come and let's chat. Let's wrestle through Scripture together and let it bring us to life together. Amen? So last week we looked at leadership. And we looked at the subject. All chapter 4 is talking about authority. And we looked at leadership under this, this uh, context of authority. And today, we're going to be looking at this idea of authority again, just from a different view. And we're going to be looking at it as Paul talks about spiritual parents. He talks about his spiritual children and that he is their spiritual father. Again, here's what he says in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. He says, I'm not speaking sarcastically to you. I'm not using hyperbole. I don't want you to feel ashamed. He says, I am for you. This is what he's trying to say. He wants to show them that I'm on your side, Corinthians. I love you. And the proof of that is that I'm trying to admonish you. And the word admonish just means to warn. And here's what he's saying in the context of the whole epistle. He's saying, I'm trying to warn you of your pride. Your pride is killing you. 
This is why we titled the whole series Unentitled. Your pride is killing you. It's hurting you, and it's hurting those around you. It's ruining your reputation as Christians, and it's ruining your reputation as a church. And I'm telling you these things because I love you. And Paul views these people literally as his spiritual children, as if he was their father. There is such a deep affection for the Corinthian believers. And we know this because the Greek word that Paul uses here. And I tend to not use a lot of Greek in my sermons because I don't want to give you the false impression that you need to be a scholar in the early languages to understand your New Testament. You don't have to know those words, but they're sometimes very helpful to understand why these words are being used. And the word beloved here is the Greek word agapitas, which is with the root word agape. Most of you have probably heard the word agape before. It's commonly used in the church. Theologians call this God's love. It talks about a sacrificial love. And what's interesting, in this period of time when they were writing, agape was almost an exclusively Christian term. No other writers used it, and it's always used to refer to God. But it's a word that is consistently applied to God and describes his enduring, his abiding, and his sacrificial love. I like to explain agape as the type of love that seeks the best interest of another person. It meets the person's greatest need. Now, a person's greatest need is not food and shelter. Don't hear me wrong. Food and shelter is important. They're basic human needs, right? Without them, we will die. But a person's greatest need is to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And how you answer the, this question of who Jesus is, your eternal destination rests upon your answer. Do you, as C.S. Lewis coined for us, think Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or is he Lord? Those are your options. He was either a liar, or he was just some maniac, or he's Lord. And it's the third one that secures your eternal destination when you bow your knee to Christ. John, in his third letter in verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And when you contrast that with what Paul's saying here in our verses today, he's saying the same thing as John, just a different way. He's saying, I have no greater anguish than my children abandoning the truth. When he looks at the Corinthians, he's saying, you're breaking my heart, you're walking away from the truth. And there is no doubt that there are people within this four walls today who have children who are wayward, who have children who are struggling with their faith, struggling in their belief of God. And you know exactly, you can 100% identify with how Paul feels in this letter. There is no expense too great, right? There is no distance too far. You would do anything to reach your kids, to love them, to bring them back. And that's exactly where Paul is at with these first century believers. So Paul sees them literally as his children, and we see that in verse 15, where he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So over the past couple of weeks... We have seen Paul call himself a couple different things. We have seen him call himself a farmer, he was a builder, he was a servant, and he's a steward. But now he changes the metaphor again, and he refers to himself as their spiritual father. Why? Because this is Paul's trump card. 
This is his kind of his, his last resort. Because remember, Paul wants to influence these Corinthians to, uh, to change their way of thinking in their hearts. He wants to uproot their pride and he wants to point them to Christ. And he says, look, you and I have this very special relationship. It's a relationship unlike any other relationship in your life. Because I was the one that God used to bring the gospel to you. I was the pioneer in Corinth. And God used me to carry the message of faith to you, and you responded in faith. Therefore, he's saying, I am your spiritual father. And as your spiritual father, I want you to know first and foremost that I love you and I care about you. And he says, you have countless guides. And that word guide is an interesting one. It's talking about in the first century, there was these people you could hire who would take your kids to and fro from their education. And along the trail, however long it was, they would share truths with your children. They would help your children with uh, homework, with questions, life advice, things like that. They were their guides, more than just walking them to school, but they would also instruct them, kind of like tutors. And he's saying, you have many of those people in your life, thousands of those people. People in your life, people who will take you to the Word of God and they will express truths from it, people who explain matters to you. You got to remember, Corinth was one of the most gifted churches in the New Testament. They were not lacking in spiritual teachers, they had countless guides, thousands of guides, but he says, You only have one spiritual father. And this is Paul's attempt to say, If anything else, would you just listen to me? It's kind of like when Levi's freaking out, which happens often, because he's three. (laughs) And sometimes I freak out too and get angry and just add more fuel to the fire because I fail as a father at times. But other times I strive to just get down on his level. And I grab him by the arms and I shake. No, I'm kidding. And I, <laughs> and I grab him by his arms on his level and I, and I, and I, I talk calmly and I talk firmly. You got to look at me. You got to listen to my voice. And oftentimes, that gentle but firm fatherly voice cuts through the noise of the chaos. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen to my stern but gentle fatherly voice. Will you respond to me, Corinthians, simply because you are my spiritual children? And because you are my spiritual children, what I am saying and asking is rooted in my deep fatherly love for you. Note also Paul is telling the Corinthians that they are in Christ because of the gospel and that, that they have been placed there through that. And this shows, again, Paul's humility for us as Christians. He is saying, this is not about me. This is not about my name. This is not about making FBC a great standard or name or anything like that. He's saying, I'm just the messenger. I'm just pointing you to Christ. You are here because of Christ, not because of Paul. Paul strives to point his readers and our eyes today as a church back to Christ verse after verse. But with all that in mind, let me ask you this question. Do you recall the person in your life that shared the gospel with you that resulted in you accepting Christ as your Savior? Do you recall the person who stepped in your life? Maybe they even took a risk and you responded. I can't say for sure, but I'm sure that person in your life holds a little bit of relational equity in your heart. You hold them with high esteem in your memory of their sharing of the gospel. And this is what Paul is hoping for. He's banking that because he labored and took that risk and traveled to Corinth and suffered in Corinth and gave them the gospel and they responded that they would hear him. They had many spiritual guides, great men like Apollos, 
but they only have one spiritual father. And what's going to happen in the rest of these verses today, Paul is going to, he's going to, what he's going to do is explaining what it is to be a spiritual parent in a person's life. And I'm just using the lingo that he's using, but what we're actually talking about today is discipleship. How we disciple others who make disciples, who those disciples then make disciples, and their disciples will make disciples, right? We don't just want to make converts that sit in our chair, live till they're 90, and die. We want to make people who are disciple makers, who make disciples, and pass the gospel to the next generation. Amen? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Spiritual parents, discipleship. And we need spiritual parents in our church. Men and women who are pouring in to the lives of other people and discipling them. And a spiritual parent has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with your obedience to Christ and your willingness to share it and teach others about him. And God will use you. God will use you. He loves obedience. He doesn't care if you're 65 or if you're 16. God will use you. Amen? All you're called to be is obedient. So with that, I have two simple questions for you. Do you have a spiritual parent in your life? I don't care if you're 50 years old in the faith. Do you have someone you can turn to who will be there for you, who will give you good counsel, who's not afraid to say, hey, knock it off. You're missing it. You, you, you're, you're missing the point. Who will give you good counsel, say difficult things to you. Someone who understands the scriptures, who can speak the truth of the gospel to you and remind it. Do you have that person in your life? And secondly, are you that person? Or are you becoming that person for someone else? Because that's what we should always strive to be, is a disciple maker. Is pouring into someone else so that they can pour into somebody else. A church is only as healthy as to the degree that people are plugged in and are ministering to each other. Ministry is not for the professionals. The Bible promotes and teaches the priesthood of all believers. That's you and that's me. And we're all called to pour into each other's life, to bless each other and to preach the gospel to each other. The church is not about coming, about sitting and soaking and then leaving. It's about coming, it's absorbing, being exposed to the word of God, and then moving forward and applying it to your life and to the lives of others. Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. We don't come here to puff ourselves up, to be arrogant. Chances are, and I say this humbly, you and I don't need another Bible study in our life. Right? You can go on the internet, you can go on your phone, you can go on the Bible app, you can have thousands upon thousands of Bible studies at your fingertips, and you can go through them. We provide life groups here that walk you through Bible studies. We have women Bible studies here. We have men Bible studies here. We have senior Bible studies here. You and I likely don't need another Bible study in your life. You know what we need? We need to start living out one of those Bible studies. We need to start living out what we're seeing in Scripture in this church and in this community. Amen? Because if not, all we're doing is saying, bless me, bless me, filling our heads, getting puffed up that we can't even get out of our own pews. We're so full of knowledge, but yet we don't live it out. We need to live out what Scripture teaches. And so here's what we see is the first characteristic story that Paul lays down for us. He says, first, a spiritual parent, a disciple maker, is one who shares the gospel. Surprise. Is that a surprise? It shouldn't be. Paul says, you heard it from me first. 
I came to you and gave it to you first. To truly meet one's need is to truly give them what they need most, which is salvation through the hearing of the gospel. Spiritual parents are constantly sharing the word of God, constantly sharing the gospel with others. I'm thankful for my earthly parents, but I'm also thankful for my spiritual parents who continue to give me Christ, who continue to call out my blind spots, and who continue to encourage me to grow. Salvation comes through the sharing and the hearing of the gospel. No way else through the hearing and the sharing of the gospel. And we need to have that message constantly on our lips. I've heard it said that the church should be like a maternity ward, where we constantly hear the crying of newborn babies being born in the spirit. Amen? Where salvations are happening Sunday after Sunday. I, 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 that's what we want. We should be seeking salvations. Of the loss. I said it a few weeks ago that the signs of a healthy church is not every chair filled with butts. Right? That's a good thing. Don't hear me wrong. I love that most Sundays it's hard to find a chair in here. But that's not a sign of good spiritual healthy churches. You know, a sign of good spiritual healthy churches that we're seeing the lost saved. We're seeing Christians discipled. We're seeing people baptized. You know, a few weeks ago it was like five or six of the eight who were baptized were brand new Christians. Come on. They were brand new Christians. They weren't raised in a Christian home. They were engaged with the gospel and they responded. Can we not get excited about that? Like brand new believers following Christ in the waters of baptism. And what Paul is doing in these verses and throughout all this letter is he's pressing in on us. He's pressing in on his readers. He's pressing in on us today and he's, and he's having us think about and asking us and telling us and commanding us that our Christian conduct should match our calling. So let me ask you, how are you doing with this one? Personally, are you sharing the gospel with those around you? Because I promise you there are people in your life that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, including fellow Christians. We all go through times where the promises of God seem dim to us, where we are faced with life circumstances, and it's hard to keep our eyes on Christ, as Hebrews tells us to. And we need our fellow brothers and sisters preaching the gospel into our ears to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth of God, amen, so we can find freedom to live in him. They need to hear the gospel, and they need to hear it from you. Spiritual parents are people who are constantly sharing the gospel and communicating the, the truth of God to the lost and dying world around them and to their church family who is struggling to believe. Secondly, spiritual parents, oh, that didn't work. Spiritual parents give warnings. We read this in verse 14. Paul says, I do this to admonish you. And admonish means war warn. And if you read the book of Proverbs, that's just one big admonishment in a sense. It's one big warning. It's Solomon writing to his son saying, listen to me, son. I want to warn you. I want to admonish you for a minute. Don't go to the prostitute's house. You might want to. You might desire to. But it will be very bad for you if you do. He says, son, pay very close attention to what you put before your eyes, to your company you surround you, that what influences your life, because what, what those things will do, they will begin to shape you and mold you into something that you were not called to be. And to give godly advice, like Paul to the Corinthians or Solomon to his son, you need two things. You need to 
uh, know what Scripture says. You need to be grounded in the truth of God. And also, you need to have the courage to speak what Scripture says. I remember when I was in my first round of Bible college, when I was completing my bachelor's, my, I, I, I observed a professor in my, in my school, and I watched him, how he interacted with his kids, and how he interacted with his wife, and I listened to how his kids spoke about him, and how his wife spoke about him, how he loved them, how he served them, as Christ served the church, and I said, man, I want that. I want to be like that. So I walked up to him and said, hey, I admire you, how you're a husband, how you love your wife, how you love your children. Can you teach me how to do that? Can you disciple me? I don't think he's ever been asked that before. And he agreed. I was in my last year of Bible college, and we sat there, and he would disciple me. We would read, we would read books together, and, and we, would, we, would, we would talk together, and, and he would share things with me. And, because, uh, and, and that's what we're really talking about today. We're talking about discipleship. And, and, and it was amazing when we would walk through these studies, when we would talk and just have candid conversations, as he would model for me how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to be a man of God, which is an epidemic in our churches. He did this in our one-on-one times. He did this when we were studying scripture, and he would ask simple questions like, Aaron, how are you living this out, this principle? How is this in your life right now? And more so as we hung together, he would say, Aaron, I know what you're thinking right now. I, I can sense what you're about to do. Can I warn you for a moment? Can I remind you for a moment? Can I bring to memory in your mind what Scripture says about this situation? I don't want you to go down that road. I don't want to see you get hurt. This man cared about me. I wasn't his son. I wasn't his relative. But he loved me. He didn't want to see me stray. He didn't want to see me hurt. He didn't want to see me go down those paths that are so attractive to humans. And honestly, the way I function today, how I lead, how I love like Christ loved, a lot of that can be allotted to this man that you as a church will never meet here on this earth because he is with Christ now. And let me make it clear. Admonishing or warning someone doesn't mean you get to crush their spirit. We're good at that. We're good at coming down really hard on people. Again, some of us as adults be it young adults, be it middle age, be it senior adults. Some of us are still trying to pick up the pieces of our lives, the shattered pieces of our lives, because maybe you had abusive, over-controlling, or hard parents in your childhood, and you're still working through issues on that. That's not what a spiritual parent does. A spiritual parent is patient. A spiritual parent is long-suffering. They understand that there will be mistakes. They understand that you will fail. But they're still passionate about you becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be. And passion is an important word. It's a powerful emotion. I get almost every Sunday without fail somebody coming up to me saying, man, you're just so passionate in the pulpit. And my answer is always the same way. It's I'm so passionate because I'm with you, church. I love you. I care about you. I care about what you do. I care about how you live. I want for all of us individually and corporately as a church to experience the hand of God's blessing upon our lives. It's easy for me to be passionate up here because I deeply care about you. I care about our testimony of a church, about what God wants to do through Fellowship Baptist Church in this community. And this is what leads Paul to say this passion leads him to say in verse 16, which is the third attribute of a spirit, that spiritual parents 
are examples. Look at verse 16 to 17 again. It says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. So when you're mentoring someone, when you're discipling someone, when you're being somebody's spiritual parent, the onus is on you to set the pattern. Whatever you want them to be is what you are now. So if you want someone to grow in their biblical knowledge, guess what? You better be growing in your biblical knowledge as well because you can't impart something you don't have. You can't impart something that you are not. You must be growing as well. We should always be learners. We're never going to in this life arrive where we go, oh, I don't have to study that anymore. I don't have to wrestle with that anymore. If you get there, let me know, okay? Because the, it, it's impossible. But, but I'm quite convinced that for most of these Corinthian Christians, when they heard Paul say, imitate me, they were horrified. And here's why I think that. Because remember back to last week what Paul said about himself. He says, when people talk about me, when they think of me, they think of the scum of the earth. So I want you to imitate me. Hey, my clothes are always in rags. Imitate me. I'm always hungry. Imitate me. I don't even have a home most of the time imitate me. And if you remember the context of our epistle today is that the Corinthians were on a different mindset. They were seeking to find an elevated position within the congregation. They wanted eyes on them. They wanted to be glorified. So when they hear Paul say, imitate me, they're stunned. It'd be like John the Baptist say, hey, put on some camel clothes and eat some honey and locusts with me. It's shocking. They're shocked. And Paul's saying, imitate me, not because of all of my difficulties. That doesn't make me all more spiritual. Not because of all of my hardships I go through. But despite them, and very often because of them, the power and the glory of God is seen more fully in my life. They didn't have the printing press back then. That's a given. That didn't come, you know, for a lot of years after that. And Paul understood that most likely the only Bible that these first century believers would ever see would be through Paul. Through his actions. Every home didn't have the Bible. You go into my office, there's probably 14 different Bibles in there. And then my online Bibles are just endless. I have so many Bibles, and I'm sure you have many Bibles as well. But that wasn't so back then. Maybe if they were lucky, they would get one of the letters to the church. The pastor would read it out loud for the whole church to hear. And if you had any type of like uh, schooling, you maybe could write some of it down, copy some off the manuscript, and remember it. So they didn't have the word of God like we had. So he's saying, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. So this really raises an interesting question for us. Because this is the case for many of us. As I said, we have the privilege of having many Bibles. But we live in something called a post-Christian Canada. Meaning, we are walking among people of the least reached people in some of the greatest parts of the world. And they live here in Canada. They've never heard that. I've taught. I go out on the streets and talk with people about God. And many of them don't even have Bibles in their houses anymore. You could bank on the fact that someone had a dusty old family Bible in a box somewhere. Not so anymore. So the question is the same for us. What are we communicating to people with our lives? What are we impressing upon them? What do we communicate when we're running around, we're all stressed out, we're anxious about everything, getting freaked out, going, did you see what was on the evening news last night? And you're hyperventilating. Yeah, I saw. But God is still on the throne. 
but, but, but the election, it didn't go who I hoped. Oh, the tyrant got in. Oh, it's okay. God is on the throne. I'm not saying that those things aren't important. We shouldn't be praying about those things. We shouldn't be seeking and discerning as a church how we can help in those areas. But, but God is still on the throne, and, and people are watching. And, excuse me. And our response to the things of this world sends a very powerful message. Now, don't hear me wrong, because this little application point can be taken wrongly and extended too far. Your conduct is not a substitute for you preaching the gospel. Okay, bringing casserole dishes over to your neighbor, cutting their lawn every once in a while, hey, those are great, but you're still going to have to share the gospel with them. They're not going to be digging into your casserole and go, whoa, there's Jesus in the macaroni, and they're going to get saved, okay? Like, they need to hear the gospel preached, all right? My unsaved neighbor, he cuts my lawn for me. I don't go, well, I better give up on my faith because there's goodness outside of God. We need to go past just these fun and great acts. I'm not saying don't stop that. Keep doing those things. But we must be sharing the gospel. Your conduct is not a substitute for your sharing the gospel with your neighbor. Whoever came up with the phrase, and the one who's quoted saying this has never said it, it's not in any of his works, preach the gospel often when necessary, use words. If I could just, there's kids in the room, so just, you know, I could just, yeah, you know what I mean. No, that guy clearly didn't understand the Bible, whoever said that, because words are what God uses to bring about salvation. People can act morally, people can be good in a worldly definition outside of Christ. We must share the good news with them. It must be on our lips. But what he's saying here, Paul is saying, when he's saying, imitate me, he's saying that your conduct should match your message, right? There's too many Christians out there who preach a message and don't live anywhere close to that message, and it ruins their reputation time and time again. But your conduct should match your message. You should be living out what you are preaching, and when people see you living that out, and then they hear the message, they go hand in hand and work together to leave a gospel impression upon their heart. Paul understood this very well. This is why he said, imitate me, Corinthians, or the word could also be mimic me. Have you ever asked your kids to imitate you? Have you ever asked them to mimic you? You want to have some fun after church? How secure are you feeling in your identity right now? Okay, go home and ask this question. Act like dad or act like mom. Levi loves to mimic. He loves to repeat what you say, which is pretty humbling sometimes. And, and he loves to copy how you walk. He loves to make the noises you make. As most of you know, my mother watches Levi full-time, so Bailey and I can both work full-time. And, you know, sometimes my mom will get up out of the chair or walk up the stairs. Oh, my back. Oh, my knees. And there's Levi. Oh, my knees. Oh, my back. This little three-year-old acting like he's 80. And, uh, uh, but sometimes Levi likes to mimic me as well. Right? And, and he's trying to put something together, and he gets frustrated and exhales and pushes it down. I go, oh, boy, that's me. Uh, patience, Lord, give me patience. And I lay in bed those nights, and I go, Bailey, he watches us. He wa beware, he watches us. Right? And in and, 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 and church, somebody is watching you. What are you communicating? What are you impressing upon them? It's something we should all be reflecting on. But getting back to our verses, we see Paul couldn't be there in person. He says, I've sent you Timothy since I couldn't be there. And this is just a great example of the next step of discipleship, right? You, you can't always be running and I can't be the one always doing everything in this church. We must be making disciples who are faithful enough that we can trust and delegate tasks to and send them out and pray for them and encourage them. So Paul says, here's Timothy, 
This, I'm practicing what I preach. I'm practicing what I model. Timothy's my guy. Timothy's my spiritual, my child. I've, I've molded him. I've shaped him. He's mimicking me. And, and, and he's going to come to you and teach you the things that I teach in every church. And, and Timothy, if you study his life, he has this hardcore ministry. He's tasked with going to all these churches to help rekindle their love for the gospel and for God. And, and he goes there, and, and this is the pinnacle of being a spiritual parent. When you're able to say that I can't be there, but I'm sending this person in my place. And when they arrive, it's going to be just like having me there, but probably even better. And notice he says, he will remind you of my ways in Christ. The same things that I teach in every church. That's in verse 17 up on the screen. Because here's the thing about ministry. Effective ministry is not being a mile wide. Paul understood this. He couldn't be everywhere. So he had to pour into other people so he could essentially be everywhere through his disciples. Effective ministry is not being a mile wild. Effective ministry comes when you focus on depth, when you focus on people, and you build into people, and you train people, and then you send people out to serve. Because when we concentrate on the depth of the church, God begins to provide the breadth. But churches, modern churches get it backwards. It's like, oh, we want to be the church that does everything. And they, and they try to run all these midweek programs. They try to have all these Sunday morning programs and all these things. And people are just exhausted. And then your church gets crazy and people leave and, and all these divisions start happening. But we need to focus on people first. And God will bring the breath because when you focus on the breath, when you focus on uh, setting up all these things, you will be overextended. You will be a mile wide and only an inch deep. And whoever's tried to build a house on just an inch deep foundation, it won't stand. Now, since Paul sends Timothy in his place, this is how he jacked up the churches. Some people think that Paul is sending Timothy because he's afraid to be with them in person. He, he's afraid of us, they're saying. It's fueling their pride. So Paul lays it down for them in verse 18. He says, some are arrogant. I love Paul. As though I were not coming to you. He's saying, this is my words now. Some of you think you're all big and bad, like I'm scared to come with you in person. And it's making you even more prideful. But I'm telling you that I'm not afraid of you. Because look at verse 19, he says, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Because here's the deal, church. Talk is cheap. Anyone can say whatever they want, especially nowadays when you hide behind your keyboard. You can say whatever you want, and you think there's no consequence. Talk is cheap. Paul's saying, what I'm looking for when I show up in your church is the power of God on display. And what does that look like? It's not a bunch of Christians running around trying to elevate themselves past someone else. What the power of God looks like is a transformed life. It's the very thing the Corinthian believers were missing. To elevate yourself, to take pride in all of your accomplishments, to elevate one preacher, if you remember, over the others, or drawing lines and sand, that is not the power of God. The power of God is when the gospel is proclaimed and the mind is illuminated and is transformed. And Paul says, that's what I'm looking for, Corinthians, where God is showing up through the power of the gospel in your church. You know, modern churches were bad for sitting around tables drinking coffee going, I wonder what it would look like for us to reach Drumheller. Oh yeah, let's have another meeting about this. Oh, what if it looked like this? And we never get up from the table and actually just go do it. We're good at being strategic. We need to be strategic, but we're poor at times at executing those strategic plans. But look at verse 20. It says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And as I close with the last point of a spiritual parent, we see it here in verse 21. A spiritual parent cares enough to bring loving correction. Paul leaves it in verse 21 in the Corinthians court. He says, what Paul do you want? You have two options. Do you want the Paul that shows up with a rod? Talking about church discipline. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Which refers to a shepherd's staff, right? They have a curved staff and a sheep strays where it's dangerous because there's wolves out there. The shepherd comes and he yanks him back into the fold, right? And it hurts a little. The sheep kind of fights it because he wants to go in his old way. But the shepherd knows what is best. And sometimes that's accomplished through a little bit of discipline. The sheep fights it, but the shepherd cares enough to bring loving correction. So here's what I've learned. I don't practice it perfectly in my own life, but here's what I've learned, and I try to do it the best. But good parents do the hard things for the sake of protecting their kids. And really good parents, in fact, the best parents are willing to say, hey, look, it really, it's really okay if you don't like me right now. But what I'm about to do is absolutely in your best interest. In this moment, I can live with the fact that you think I'm wrong. Maybe you think I don't love you. Maybe you think I don't care about you. I can live with the fact that you might not like me right now because I'm bringing you what you need. And this is exactly what Paul's perspective is to the Corinthians. Good parents bring exactly what is needed when is needed. Good disciple makers bring exactly what is needed when is needed. I remember the summer before I left for Bible college. I was very conflicted. I wanted to burn for Christ, love for Christ, serve him with my whole life, but there were areas of my life that I just couldn't seem to let go of that were dampening, dampening my testimony, that were causing me to stay in sin, and I got called into a meeting by my spiritual mentor at the time, and I got to this meeting. There's my youth pastor, and there's one of my good trusted friends, and I went, uh-oh, I know exactly where this meeting's going. And we sat there for hours, crying, not just me, but other men. They said some very hard, hard things to me that were sobering in the moment. And I didn't respond the best I could have in that moment. I got angry because the truth hurts, and we don't like to always accept it. But as I look back, I am eternally grateful for those men because they stopped me from going down a path that would have led to destruction. Because in love, a spiritual parent bears the heart and speaks to it. And it's only our pride that keeps us from listening to it. And my prayer is that for this church is that we would have a room full of spiritual moms and dads that, would be that we would be consistently hearing the cries of newborn babies in Christ. That we would have those Timothy-like relationships where we have men and women pouring into the lives of others and seeing them succeed in Christ, even if it means having tough conversations and diff that are difficult for both parties. It's not easy to bring correction. This is my desire, and it's Paul's. Paul is trying to expose in these verses what's keeping the Corinthians back from them stepping into what God wants them to be, and that they would become spiritual parents themselves to others in their church community, that they would be disciple makers. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer, church. So let me end with this reflection question. Why are you not busy reproducing? What's stopping you from reproducing? I'm sure if you look at your time, 
when we get to heaven, we're going to look back and see that the great time wasters of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and all the other new things that are coming out, we're going to go, wow, I really had more time, but I just wasted it. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from reproducing your faith? We need this church. We need to be a church that makes disciples, who makes disciples, who then make disciples and make disciples. Amen? Every Christian is called to this. There's no such thing as a professional Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you that you are the great God of heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we can look at these difficult challenges in your word and know that they're given to us as well out of love from you, O Lord. Father, help us not to go and just ignore these words, Father, but may they be like a pebble in our shoe, that every time we walk, we kind of be reminded, oh, oh I need to change, I need to do something about this, I need, to, I need to work on this. Father, would you shape us and mold us to be more like your Son, that we'd be conformed all the more to the image of Christ, O Lord. Father, use us in this community, Father, to further your love and message. Father, use the other churches in this community to further your love and your message of hope to a lost and dying world around us. Bless us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.